the good news according to Luke, chapter 14, beginning at verse 1. Listen for the word of God. On one occasion, when Jesus was going to the house of a leader of the Pharisees to eat a meal on the Sabbath, they were watching him closely. When he noticed how the guests chose the places of honor, he told them a parable. When you are invited by someone to a wedding banquet, do not sit down at the place of honor in case someone more distinguished than you has been invited by your host. And the host who invited both of you may come and say to you, give this person your place. And then in disgrace, you would start to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit down at the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. He said also to the one who had invited him, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, Do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors in case they may invite you in return, and you would be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. The miracle is, O Lord, that you speak, and we pray that you would speak your living word through these human words, that you may fill them with your Holy Spirit, and that we may hear the good news of Christ's death and resurrection and exaltation forevermore. In his name we pray, amen. So... Last week, we looked at the first half of today's scripture text, and I said we were going to deal with the second half this week. And um, Jesus is at a fancy dinner party, a black tie affair. Everyone's climbing over each other to get a seat near the head table where the mayor, the police chief, the head of the chamber of commerce are all seated. Jesus then proceeds to tell a parable about attending a wedding feast, and instead of fighting each other for the top seat, which you could lose, Jesus says, find the worst one, because getting a promotion is always better than getting a demotion. In the end, Jesus interprets the parable being about humility being necessary for entrance into the kingdom of God. The exalted shall be humbled, he says, and the humble shall be exalted. So first, Jesus criticized the me-first attitude of the attendees. 
Now Jesus is committing a bit of a social faux pas here and turning to the host of the party and critiquing the guest list. When you throw one of these parties, Jesus says, when you throw one of these fancy dinners, don't just invite your friends or your family. Don't just invite the other college alumni, the folks from the Chamber of Commerce or your fellow Rotarians. I mean, let's be honest, you're only really inviting those people to get something out of them, to win respect and notoriety, to make contacts and network with all the right people, whether it's a good stock tip or trying to get some real estate development through City Hall. Don't have a party like that. There was a Washington Post story from about a year, from last year about Chasen Buttigieg. He's married to Pete Buttigieg, the former, pres former presidential candidate, who's now the U.S. Secretary of Transportation. And he was initially excited to be in Washington. He figured that since they'd be at so many different events, he would make a lot of friends, but he ended up pretty disappointed. It's very hard to make a friend when everybody wants something from your husband, he says, or they're expecting him to do something. It makes interactions feel authentic, inauthentic a lot. You just kind of have to always have your guard up. So that's the kind of party that Jesus is talking about where everybody's after something. A quid pro quo party, if you will. Don't throw one of these, Jesus says. Go for a different approach. Rent one of those big cube vans, you know, the ones the Mennonites use. Head on down to the warming center on Cliff Avenue and load it up. Load it up with the crippled, the lame, and the blind. That's the kind of party you should be throwing Jesus says, one for the people who can't repay you. And why, you ask? If you invite them, Jesus says, if you invite them, you'll be blessed. You'll be blessed because they can't repay you. You'll be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. You may not be repaid now, but you'll be paid in full by the Lord come judgment day. And the moral of the story, if you're going to throw a fancy dinner party and just want to enjoy yourself and relax, make sure Jesus' invitation gets lost in the mail. That's uh, one thing. All kidding aside, though, in critiquing the guest list at this little shindig, Jesus is also critiquing our human nature. He's critiquing our human nature. On one hand, those of us who have a lot are inclined to spend time with pe other people who also have a lot. Like gathers with like, as they say. I mean, my friends outside church tend to be men in their late 30s, early 40s, who wear ball caps and, you know, t-shirts that have uh, hipster slogans on them. Like gathers with like, as they say. You'd never see me. Everybody's always very surprised to see me in public, because uh, I'm not wearing a suit, I guess. On the other hand, we're inclined to see other people in terms of what they can do for us, what we can get out of them. We have this propensity to reduce relationships to a medium of exchange, what we can get out of the other person. 
And a while back, I was doing a walk around of the church building early in the morning, and there was a woman just out there, and she was pushing a parking, uh, pushing a, 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 a cart, shopping cart full of clothes in the parking lot, and she was puffing on a cigarette, and she was a little bit agitated. She was obviously on something. And I said hi to her. I asked her how she was, and then I guess sort of got ready to move along. But then she got talking. And kept talking. And kept talking. And talking and talking and talking. Now, I really had to work on my sermon, so I kept looking at my watch. I kept sort of, you know, taking one step away and then she draw me in with another story. Now, you know if this were a city councilor or a potential church member, new church member, or even a church member I hadn't seen in a while, it would be no, uh, it would be worth my precious time, but I was on the clock. And after 25 minute or so tour through this woman's life, she just stopped. She just stopped and said, Thanks. Thanks, she said. Thanks. All I wanted was someone to talk to. All I wanted was just someone to talk to. And you know, neither I nor the church were getting anything out of this conversation. Then it dawned on me that she was. That she was. We have this way of reducing people to what we can get out of them, whether they can help us get ahead or waste our time. And Jesus says in this parable that we've got to give that up. We've got to give it up. Now, of course, this begs the question, why should we give it up? Why should we? Why should those of us who are well off branch out and start hanging out with those who aren't so well off? Why should we start setting our tables, not just for the folks who have an in, but those who are on the outs, those whose presence at the party provides no discernible personal reward or advantage to our social standing? Why should we? Remember how Jesus says that if we do so, we will be blessed if we do so, we'll be blessed. Not only will we be blessed, he says, we can invite those who can't repay because we'll be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. We may not be able to get anything out of them now, but according to Jesus, one day we'll get everything and more out of God. Now, at first, it sounds like if we open the guest list in our lives, then we'll be rewarded for all eternity, you know. Again, it reduces other people to what we can get out of them. The poor, the least, and the lost become our ticket to heaven or a ticket out of hell or a ticket to feeling righteous and good about ourselves or a ticket to more grant money. This is the ultimate version of self-justifying self-interest Jesus is trying to get us away from. Not only that, but it flies in the face of the Christian message that salvation is a free gift of God, that no action on our part could ever earn it or add to it. It's one that can only be received 
by grace in faith. Remember, though, that this is a parable, and that parables aren't just straightforward stories or instructions. They're of just about, they aren't just about what we should do, even though they are indeed the case. We should do them, of course. No, Jesus tells us, tells them to us, to disclose to us the nature of God, to disclose to us, to show us who God is, and to show us God's kingdom, God's kingdom, the kingdom of God being the world as God intends it to be now and into all of eternity, the world Jesus inaugurates in his life, death, and resurrection. So what's he saying about the kingdom of God with this particular parable? Well, Jesus is revealing himself to be the host of the heavenly banquet table, the feast of the kingdom, the world as God wants it now, the world as God, the world as it will be when finally God finally gets God's way. This is a table that has already been set since before the beginning of time. And as host, Jesus' guest list is a little different than ours. Unlike us, the ones Jesus invites are the ones who can do nothing for him. The poor, the crippled, the lame, in the words of our parable, yes, but not just them, not just the materially needy but also the poor in spirit, those who suffer and those who are ashamed, those who fall way short of expectations, those whose expectations are too high, the ones who are, in spite of all their best efforts, somehow unable to be selfless. The only ones Jesus sets a place for in the kingdom of God is for those who have no ability to find a seat on their own. I came not to call the righteous, Jesus says. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. This parable reveals Jesus as the host of the heavenly banquet. Jesus as the selfless Savior. Jesus invites only the ones who are unable to pay. In fact, he's already paid their way into the kingdom on the cross with his death and resurrection. Jesus only invites those who in the end recognize that they have nothing to bring to the table but their own need. Their need for literal food, their need for forgiveness, their need for freedom, peace, consolation, and comfort, their need to be better than they are. And he blesses them with resurrection. Here and now, and forever. Jesus invites only those who have nothing to bring to the table but their own need, which, if you haven't figured out, means all of us. All of us. And this is why we run a soup kitchen, the Sunshine Lunch Club, five days a week out of St. George's, not just for the sake of the poor and hungry, but for the sake of of those who serve as well. Jesus exalts the humble, blessing them with food and shelter, but he also humbles the exalted, 
blessing the wealthy and the privileged with the presence of the poor. Jesus brings us all together at his table in a common life and feeds us on life abundant. So in telling this parable, Jesus evens the spiritual playing field. In a moment, we'll be celebrating the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, where we have a chance to experience this, this parable in the sacrament of the Lord's Supper in real time. Because at the table of Jesus, we discover that there's no distinction between us and them, the needy and the affluent. We who are well off, we who keep to our comfortable social circles, we who can't help but see each other as tools for our own advancement, we find ourselves in as much need as those who have nothing. We are prisoners of our own self-selection. We hunger and thirst for righteousness. And by extending our tables, Jesus is extending God's kingdom into our lives. By extending our tables, God not only blesses the poor, the hungry, the least lost and lonely, but in doing so, God gives all of us a taste of that same grace. At the table, God frees us from our self-interest, blessing us with the gift of eternal life so we can pass it on and on and on and bless others with the same. I mean, I really like what Martin Luther used to say, that Christians should just see themselves as fellow beggars trying to find bread. <laughs> and that's what we find at the table. Not only that we want to find bread, but that we're fed in all of our needs. I'm going to end today's sermon with a prayer, and it's a prayer simply drawn from the hymn we're about to sing, which is to a familiar tune, but maybe not familiar words. After the sermon, I figure, why waste a good prayer? It's the last verse in the hymn. So let us pray. Gracious Spirit, help us to summon other guests to share your feast, where triumphant love will overcome and will welcome those who had been last and least. There no more will envy bind us, nor will pride our peace destroy, as we join with saints and angels to repeat the sounding joy, to repeat the sounding joy. In Jesus' name. Amen.
of the day as we gather at your table.